0: Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and thank you for joining us on our first episode of the 2022 season. This episode took more time to release than planned, and we really appreciate your patience as we took the time to ensure that the show is up to our quality standards. One of my friends recently brought to my attention that Pacific Sound Radio is the longest-running podcast about local music in Vancouver, which was a pleasant surprise. The show has gone through a lot since it started back in 2017, what with team members coming and going and having to deal with a global pandemic. The show at this time is a one-man operation, and once again, I want to thank you for tuning in to today's episode and for supporting the podcast. On this episode, we are speaking with Daniel James of Brass Camel. Brass Camel are a virtuoso rock act who play a technically complex and thrilling blend of prog rock and funk. Their next record is set for release for Fall 2022, and before we get to our conversation, here's a snippet from the first single off of their new album, This Is Easy. Coming on the show, Daniel. my pleasure. It's uh, been a while. Has been a while. Yeah, last yeah. time we had you on the show, we were still at Save-On Meats restaurant in East Vancouver, so right behind the glass pane. Yes, things oh, yeah. have changed quite a bit since then. No lab coat this then. time. No lab coat. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you're looking uh, really nice in a brown. Is that like corduroy? What what materials? Just that? just a brown, brown suit going just on.
1: A brown suit.
0: Yeah. Heck yeah. I uh.
1: Wore to the airport for a gig last weekend. Oh, nice. Because it's been sitting in my closet for two years and I had never once put it on.
0: And uh,
1: wear a three piece to the airport and but he thinks you're important. Yeah, even I think if you're, you're not. a
0: lawyer or some sort of like. Something like that. Yeah, venture Disheveled capitalist or whatever. Long haired lawyer. Yeah. yeah. They're out there, I'm sure. Yeah, they exist. But not I. They do hippie law. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So, Brass Camel. The, the sound you guys play is a mix of prog and funk rock. Both of these styles were, of course, pioneered in the seventies and remain popular to this day. What is it about these styles that have enduring appeal for you as a player and as a songwriter?
1: A lot of different flavors. Just tight grooves and locked in bands and uh unpredictability. I will say that with the with the debut Brass Camel album we've just completed we've really moved in. You know, the the, the Funk influence are in there. They're to be found. It's a mixed bag, but I would say in more of an art rock direction. We've really taken it up a few notches from that solo Brass Camel album I did a few years ago. Got a lot more ambitious with both arrangements, but also with vocal harmonies and production and... It's it's definitely an evolved sound from the the previous sort of brass camel ventures.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna say I I've had a chance to listen to some of, uh, some of the tracks off the new album, and there were s- some elements that really stuck out to me. There was a you know saxophone solo on Easy. Got some really operatic vocals on I've Got the Fox, and a really like sprawling intricate arrangement on Only Love. Why was it important for the band to push yourselves even further than you already do? Why not? <laughs> it. Uh...
1: It's fun to push your own musical boundaries, you know walk that tightrope and try not to fall off and um you know i I don't think we had to try too hard with arranging this stuff, and it just sort of happened and you know, it fell into place well because when we last talked, which must have been 2018, yeah the the brass camel band had just got going at that point. We're still calling it Daniel James Brass Camel, more of a solo project, and very, very early on, you know after two shows with that group. Uh, my friend Curtis uh, Arsenal came in on bass and you know after a year of, of playing together we kind of realized that this is turning from a solo project into a a proper band and uh and once we really got cracking with, with Curtis and I and um about a year and a half ago now found a, a drummer that was sort of the third solid vision sharing member of the band then I just became easier to, to write and arrange and and bring these pieces together and uh you know, it's everything just sort of fell into place with the the three Musketeers there and pushed ourselves to uh to arrange some interesting stuff for this album.
0: So would you say that's really the core difference between that first release and what you've been calling the proper brass camel debut LP, which is going to be coming out soon, is that this was more you were working with like two other songwriters instead of you just, you know, writing the whole thing yourself?
1: Well if if you look at the so can credits, I suppose I've still done most of the writing myself, but the, the difference is having two people with a very similar vision that under you know understand what the band's all about and are fully on board team players that you know rather than just whipping out a demo and sending it to the guys and saying okay here, here's what we're doing um mm-hmm. things are bounced off each other now and uh and there's a lot more contribution coming from other guys when it comes to arrangement and you know, just the flavors that make the songs up, and uh, and that's huge for me. And it's inspiring to be able to
0: share that vision with others. And I imagine it must be re- rewarding as well to have other players that are willing to contribute or offer suggestions for rearranging certain parts as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, collaboration is not, um, not overrated.
0: I'd say it's vital for a lot of bands, <laughs> Yeah, depending on so. the dynamic, of course, but... In what ways would you say that this upcoming release is a proper or formal introduction to the band for new and old fans?
1: Well, I think when we first got the the masters back, I mean, I'm I just turned 29 years old, and I made my first music release when I was 10 years old, so I've been at it a little while now, and this is the first time I've ever I've ever made a release. We're listening back to the mixes, and and subsequently the masters was able to sit back and go, "This is what we set out to create." this is a proper representation of the sort of original vision that was kicking around when this project's sort of origins first started out in, in 2018. And, um, you know, it feels like a bit of a mission statement of what the the band is all about. And, you know, it, uh, at the end of the day, the, the Daniel James Brass Camel album that has been on Spotify now for, uh, well, since 2018, it was a solo project. I, I recorded all the instruments, Oh, wow. Barring drums. Oh, barring wrote, drums. <laughs> wrote everything. It was very much my own thing. And called it Brass Camel because it was a bit of an inside joke at the time. Thought it was kind of funny. Daniel James Brass Camel. But I think we may retitle it as just a Daniel James album because this is a true Brass Camel album. We've got the lineup together now. and Or started. <laughs> we got three out of five. And uh, and Feeling Alive. So it's... Uh, to me, it feels like a proper introduction to what this band is all about going forward.
0: And uh, do, you, do you have a title for the album right it's now? It's going to be
1: entitled Brass.
0: Brass. Brass Camel Brass.
1: Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes, and that band's got a lot of brass.
0: Yeah. I like the... Um, you've got a single art uh, out already for the song Easy, which is uh, quite fun. you got the got the camel on a, on a um, ro- Roman column or, or something like that. a little pedestal. Yeah, yeah, a little pedestal. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you do in terms of the other single releases like the artwork and what the final artwork for the album is going to be. We've got some ideas. We've got the f- the
1: final album artwork uh, sorted out. We're just working on the particulars now. I hope that it will entertain and please. Taking some inspiration, sort of from the uh, Storm Thorgensen Hypnosis School of uh, Album Design. Nice. And I hope that'll translate to the uh, the
0: gatefold long play release. Ooh. Oh, you're planning vinyl too. We're going to do vinyl. Run nice. Now. Yeah, well, I, I hope it... Um I hope you get it before 2024. <laughs> uh, unlikely, but we'll uh we'll see. Well, I guess it would be a good opportunity to, you know, build in like say like um pre-order packages and and stuff like that. Like really get people to like uh you know, to build it in with other merch or something like that. Kind of just spitballing, but Yeah, for sure. Uh, I
1: mean, I think we are going to do a a small CD run. The reality is a lot of people don't have CD players anymore. I've got a CD player in my in my vehicle, and that's about it. You know, I, well, I do, I do have a, a hi-fi system at home, or I do have a CD player, because I'm not just going to write off all those hundreds of CDs I've collected over the years. But uh, with a lot of people I know, and music lovers, they, they don't have a CD player anymore. So we're going to do a small run, so we have something physical, if somebody has the means to play it. Uh, but we're kind of putting all our eggs in the vinyl basket, and we'll see whether that's six months or 12 months or how long it takes to uh, to get those in. But that's that's the direction we're going there.
0: Yeah, and that's, uh, for me, that's uh, a way that, because, uh, you know, I need more band shirts. Like, I need a hole in the head. And <laughs> for me, vinyl's a great way to show my appreciation for a band and that, like, I will f- buy a physical, like, gigantic disc of your music because I like you guys. Heck yeah. But yeah, that's
1: exciting stuff. Yeah, well, the, the LP is just so visceral, you know, to have that that package, have only only done one vinyl release with a previous band, and we found that it was it was just such a, an easy merch item to move because even if somebody doesn't have a record player, if they like your band, it's it's cool. You know, put it up on your wall, put on your dresser, put it in your closet, and bust out it once in a while and take a look at it because it's an interesting package. Um, you know, there's definitely a big kind of tangibility to a record that uh, that makes it. You know, it just seems to give it some fairly universal appeal there.
0: Yeah, and like I, I have a record player, and I'll admit, like I don't listen to my records that often, but I just like having them. Like I have, ha- love having that collection. And again, it's just having that physical piece of media where you're like, I appreciate you as a band. You and your band are, of course, very proficient at your instruments, and your songs can be quite complex. What do you do to ensure that the emotional through line of a song is communicated to the listener, especially in moments where you're in the middle of a Rhythmically dense passage, for example. I don't think I've thought that far into it, <laughs> to be honest. It's a fairly obtuse question.
1: Yeah. Um, I wish I could give you some sort of brilliant answer to that that would tie everything together, but you know, at the end of the day, I've written these songs, and we've arranged these songs to be songs that we'd like to listen to, and haven't really thought about it beyond that. We've never set out to make a a, a song or an album. And apologies to anybody that may enjoy it, but it it's been our interest in mind as far as um the creative process goes. I wanna make a song that I enjoy listening to. And the bands that I enjoy listening to most are, you know, Peter Gabriel's Genesis and Jeff Beck and and groups like that. And I want something that you know, that I can put on rotation with that stuff and, and enjoy listening to. And uh and that's kinda where it's ended on that end. And, you know, if it does become um, too dense, I suppose that's just an unfortunate side effect of trying to make uh, some interesting interesting, unorthodox rock. Comes with the territory of Prague, I suppose. Yeah, sometimes it can get a uh, a little over the top, but it's all in good fun.
0: That being said, I mean, I haven't, unless there's something, the songs are proggy, but you don't... Do the like you haven't pushed the the 20 minute mark on any of the tracks just yet, so well, that's album number three. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's just a matter <laughs> of time.
1: We'll see. We did pick up a couple of timpanies two days ago, so surely oh, that's going to influence our creative process for the next one.
0: Oh, probably. All you just need is a string quartet next.
1: We'll start with the uh, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. We'll yeah.
0: see. Cross that bridge when we get there. Was there. Any particular artists that you were listening to a lot while you were working on this new LP? Not in particular. No. No, I I mean I
1: I have and we have our kind of our our stalwart artists that we always listen to a lot of, but I don't think there was any particular artist that we had really dove into to inspire the the new record.
0: Fair enough. I imagine as well that some of the songs you'd probably or like parts of the songs you'd had riffs like kicking around for a couple years beforehand or something like that.
1: Yeah, there were there were a few of them that were were kicking around. I mean, when the pandemic first um, set in there, I I had recorded nine or ten songs for what was just going to be a a solo album. I recorded everything, drums, everything myself, and just wanted to have a bit of a creative outlet, uh, given all the extra extra time I had at the start of the pandemic there. And you know, about half of those songs are still kicking around in a folder somewhere where you know they just don't really make sense for Brass Camel. They're uh, their own kind of thing, um, and then there were another half of them were kind of listened back and went, "Oh, that sounds like a Brass Camel song." And I bet it would sound better if we did it with Brass Camel. So we um, we took were four four uh, songs that I wrote at the beginning of the pandemic that did make it onto this album. Just about everything else came up in the last last year, and then there were a couple tunes like um, "King for a Day," which is arguably my favorite song on the record and probably the most ambitious when it comes to arrangement. Uh, despite being a fairly short song, there's a lot that happens in that tune, and that happened right before we went into the studio. Just kind of came together in an afternoon, and then it was on the record. So, the uh, variety of different sort of writing approaches and and timelines for the songs on the on the disc
0: did anyone else in the band come to the table with like a riff or an idea that became a song for the record?
1: Not particularly. No, nothing that became a song. There are a few few little bits added to songs that had already been written. Um, we've already got about a record and a half of new, new material oh, wow. for future releases written. And with those, uh, Curtis has been very fruitful in bringing, uh, bringing a lot of ideas to the table and songs to the table. So I think that will definitely change on the next release. Um, but on this one, no, for the most part, there were songs I wrote.
0: With the the solo material that you, you mentioned, how does it compare to the Brass Camel stuff? Because, of course, the Daniel James's Brass Camel release is songs you play as Brass Camel. Well,
1: there was stuff on there that was a little bit more blues rock. I used an acoustic guitar on Ooh, one of the songs. blasphemy. Oh, I know. <laughs> wow. Grandpa's guitars. Um, so there was, there was a bit of kind of, oh, I don't know, I don't know what the word is. Maybe Americana, sort of the band influenced stuff on there. That just, you know, the doors open with Camel to playing whatever. I mean, I think it's my favorite thing about this band is that it's a bit of an open canvas as far as what kind of influence we can use. But at this stage, it just wasn't really stuff that made sense for sort of the sonic palette we wanted to have for this album.
0: You've kind of touched on it a bit, but what would you say the writing and recording process was like for this release? And was it were you working on this primarily during the pandemic?
1: No, this is this album took us no time to record. It was a whirlwind
0: process. Oh, wow. Um,
1: We booked three days at Afterlife Studios, the old Mushroom, um, beginning of January. We popped in there and we did beds for all of the songs um, in the first day and a half. And then on the third day, I tracked um, Grand Piano. Uh, We did Hammond Organ, some guitar overdubs, and then took it back to our studio and took us about a month, given that we've got day jobs and the like, but essentially would get to the studio at at six p m or so and work until one in the morning and do the same thing the next day and recorded everything in an, about a month and slammed everything out there and then sent it off for mixing so it was a pretty pretty quick front to back process
0: yeah whirlwind. <laughs> that's no, right no it was it
1: was it was insane i mean I was doing forty hours a week at a at a motorcycle shop where i uh I work at for a day job because you've got to pay for the music somehow, mm-hmm. and um, and at the same time was doing fifty to sixty hours a week at the studio, and uh, you know every weekend basically during that month was spending like thirty five hours in the studio just over the weekend, um, so it was a lot of hard work. Um, but not we, a lot of we, sleep we, it sounds like. Not a lot of sleep. No, I, <laughs> I had a great sleep uh, once we sent everything off to Ben Kaplan for mixing, and. Um, you know it's it's just really rewarding having done it that way you know get the big studio sound of uh, of the drums and uh, and bass at afterlife there and uh, i mean we've got all our guitar gear and some some pretty killer vocal preamps and the like at our own uh, at our own studio there so just hammered everything that we didn't need the big room for at uh, at our own space and you know i think for a largely self-engineered and fully self-produced record I, i'm very pleased with the way that the the sounds came
0: out from what I've heard so far, it's sounding really good. And from what you sent me, was that also uh, after the mixing had been completed?
1: That was after mixing, before
0: mastering. Okay. Still sounding really solid. Heck yeah. yeah. Well, I
1: can't wait for you to hear the uh, the final
0: product. Yeah. I'm also not an audio engineer, so like, I, my ear can't tell the difference between something being mastered or not. <laughs> well, as long as you didn't think it sounded terrible, then we're, that, we're in that's the good That's true. Race. It does not sound terrible. Can confirm. <laughs> Better than the alternative. There we go. And as you had mentioned, uh, Ben Kaplan mixed the new record, and he's worked with a number of notable Vancouver bands, including Mother Mother and Five Alarm Funk. Um, what feedback or insight did he have on the songs that you were working on? I mean, obviously they were more or less written, but curious to hear.
1: He he sounded pretty jazzed. He you know he was into it, and um, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised because King for a Day, um, which you haven't heard yet, but but I I just mentioned that's probably my favorite song on the album. And it's, it's pretty wacky. It's right out, of the, right out of the Peter Gabriel kind of theatrical rock and roll school. And um, I was convinced, and I, I believe so were, uh, were Wyatt and Curtis, that that was the song where Ben was going to listen and go, guys, what the fuck are you doing? And instead, uh, once I sent that song over, I got a, uh, a message back, like, man, I love that King for a Day track. And, Hell yeah, there we go. All right, dynamite which uh, has given us lots of confidence to do some outrageous things on the next record.
0: Especially if you're channeling Genesis, Peter Gabriel. That's some pretty wacky out there stuff. No, he's my boy. Yeah, <laughs> and I, uh, my, That's my
1: favorite band, bar none. I love that group so
0: much. So was actually one of my um, pandemic albums to try and get me through just crappy feelings. And uh, yeah, like, I, like Sledgehammer was one of my most listened to songs that like in 2020 or something like that. Oh,
1: great tune, great band. Yeah. Um, Obviously have very you, different. Have then... you listened to much of the Gabriel Genesis stuff?
0: Yeah, I have. I actually have Selling England by the Pound on vinyl. Yeah. I need to le- re-listen to Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I know Supper's Ready is also a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big time. I mean, Supper's Ready and Foxtrot you know, definitely has a sound.
1: Selling England has a sound. Lamb Lies Down on Broadway has a sound. Um, they're all, you know, there's a, there's a common thread, but they're very different records from each other. And I mean, to me, to me, that's the, the, the peak of rock and roll music. For my personal tastes, I've never had anything that's topped that band. And I keep thinking maybe this is the year I will grow out of my Genesis phase. But it started when I was about 13 years old and hasn't stopped since. So it keeps going. And I, the one of the pleasant musical pandemic um, surprises for me and yeah, you know, I wish it could be some band I'd never heard of before, but Lamb Lies Down on Broadway never really worked for me. I was always a like Selling England is still my favorite album of all time. Love that release, the production and the sound quality and the writing and everything. Um I don't know if that'll ever be top for me as like my as my kind of top of the heap favorite record. But I never really got into Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I really liked the sound of the album, like it's well well engineered and well mixed and everything, but it wasn't just wasn't for me. Um, you can definitely hear kind of Gabriel growing into what the solo Peter Gabriel would sound like as a writer and as a um, as a vocalist. But it never hit me. And then something happened in 2020 where I kind of went, you know, this is this is a really good record. And then spent a lot of time listening to it. And I'm just very glad that uh, you know, as as a guy in my my late 20s now, I was able to appreciate that album to the extent I do now, where it's just been on constant rotation. Um, because Foxtrot, Selling England, Nursery Crime, the other kind of big three Gabriel Nursery Genesis crime, that's albums. That's what I was thinking of. Supper is
0: a song off of one of them. Off
1: Foxtrot, yeah. yeah. And I wore those albums out in high school and beyond. I've probably been through four vinyl copies of uh, Selling England over Holy the years. Uh, one of those I know I gave away. Two of them probably speak volume to how poorly balanced my turntable was when I was in my teen years. But um, I've listened to that album a lot. And to have a to have a, a double album no less from my favorite band that I was only able to really get uh, years later was a, a huge reward because I thought I was kind of over my you know you know when you have your first listen or your first listen where you
0: really understand a release mm-hmm. um, it's so rewarding and uh, yeah great what have you been listening to uh, recently because of course there's plenty of uh, contemporary prog stuff that is just excellent like I know uh, Porcupine Tree are reuniting which has got me very yeah, excited. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I I
1: always kick myself for this because I know that I'm in the wrong. Um, but I don't listen to very much modern prog at all. I try, and I just find that it, personally, is very impressive from a technical standpoint, but I'm very rarely inspired. Uh, very, I, I always find that it, it feels like I don't want to say video game soundtrack music, but it's just, it just doesn't hit me. It just doesn't hit me the same way that the old school stuff does. And I don't know if it's just faulty psychology on my part, just approaching it from the wrong mindset, but I haven't heard a whole lot of modern prog that really gets me going.
0: Certainly with some of the prog metal stuff, I find sometimes it can be a little too cold and calculated. Yeah. Like I think it was, and this is no knock to the any of the instrumental Prowess of these individuals, but I recall listening to the most recent Animals as Leaders record, and you know, completely instrumental. I was listening to it, and I'm like, "Yep, this sounds like an Animals as Leaders record."
1: <laughs> that was yeah. pretty
0: much it. My entire reaction.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of those bands where I'd, I'd love to see a live show. I'd go, I'd go live mm-hmm. for sure. But in yeah. terms of listening, listening on on headphones or on a sound system, it just it wouldn't really be what I what I would gravitate towards. And you know, I think. I think with the kind of classic first era of Brog, the stuff that, what really gets me going with that is that it's quarterly complex, and from an arrangement standpoint, really complex stuff, but it still very much sounds human and, and analog, and sure, there are moments there where the rhythms get incredibly complex, and there are there are very difficult passages to play, but it doesn't sound like a technical exercise. It very much sounds like human beings that are, with the exception, again, of Emerson, like and Palmer, it does get a little cold for me. Mm-hmm. But but the Crimson stuff, the Genesis stuff, certainly the Yes stuff, that just it sounds like human beings making out of the box rock music with with very diverse influences. It doesn't sound like you know uh, technical guitar students going out there to try and show what they've learned and what they can play. And I do find that with a lot of that stuff. I'm yeah, toasting the bass, you're very talented. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, no, and again, not knocking any of those those guys uh, that make that type of music, but yeah, I guess the other thing that sometimes uh, throws me off in a good way about the classic prog stuff was the fact that it, uh, you know, came out like less than ten years after the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan Show. You're like, holy shit, that's a envelope which is just being pushed big time. Yeah. yeah. The Brass Camel Stage Show is one of the largest and most ambitious presentations of any band in the Vancouver music scene. What bands do you strive to emulate whenever you are playing to a live crowd?
1: I don't know if there are any particular bands,
0: uh, but I I love a great stage show. I love the uh,
1: production. And not at the expense of the music. You know, if I went to see a band that had a killer production but couldn't play their instruments, I'd probably be, you know, just as frustrated as going to see a band that were monster technicians but didn't put on a show at all. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, a crossroads there. And you know, I just, um, I think about growing up all the bands that I was so into. You know, I used to just wear out VHS tapes of of um, Queen and Parliament and Zeppelin and Yes and these bands. And it looked, they looked like superheroes to a child. You know, you're watching that stuff and there's Chris Squire with his Rickenbacker and he's wearing a fucking wingsuit jumping around in the air and just... You know, you knew even at that age that Batman wasn't real or Spider-Man wasn't real, but Chris Squire looked pretty frickin' close watching VHS. and I've been pleasantly surprised that even in adulthood I feel the same way, and uh, why not put on a show? I mean, I'm not, I'm I'm not the biggest Van Halen fan. Love Eddie Van Halen, but the band is not really my band, but there's an interview I watched with David Lee Roth years ago, and he always had great quips and great quotes on things. and
0: He's a he, very entertaining uh, interview.
1: Big time, and he's a smart guy. Like he's yeah, well-read he's, and he has great insight into things. Um, but I remember this interview where they're talking about the Van Halen stage show and his antics and everything like that. Um, and he was saying, well, I bet if you asked 10 musicians, would you rather go deaf or blind, these people who live for music, I'll bet you that seven of them wouldn't even think twice. They'd say, I would rather go deaf. So why don't people make the show look good? Uh, Yeah, you're probably not wrong. And um, so we've tried to make a show look good. And uh, I mean, with the Brass Camel show, we we bring out so much in the way of instruments just to get the sounds and that kind of, you know, over over the top production that a lot of it is very functional. It's not just for the sake of the show. Mm -hmm. Nothing sounds like a Hammond B3 and a Leslie. It looks great, but that's icing on the cake. I've never heard a Leslie simulator that sounds like a Leslie. So we bring out that stuff because it's functional. We bring out tubular bells because they have a, a presence and they sound killer. You know, it's a very, very visceral sort of thing. Um, so a lot of the Brass Camel stage show has come together. And of course, that's only for, at this moment, for local headliner shows where we can get into the rickshaw and we can put on something over the top. We know damn well that we cannot tour with this show as it is right now. It's over the top we don't have a semi-available to bring this around with us. Every show we've done in town, we've had to rent out the biggest U-Haul we can get to bring out risers and lights and all the gear and everything, which is friggin' awesome when it gets set up, but it is not something we can tour right now. So this is something that, if you're listening from out of town, you have to come to Vancouver to see for now. And, if, of course, if we're doing an opening show for somebody, then we know our place, right? you got to bring mm-hmm. the strip down set up and hope that you can play your instruments and your songs well enough that you can sell the band Without the full rig, because it's just not feasible to to put on
0: in that kind of environment. But at least have a camel on stage. But at least we can have the camel on stage. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it's no, not life no we definitely try and <laughs> try and just put on our own show. But uh, but again, with that kind of uh, grandiose element that was always present with the bands that I grew up idolizing, and um, you know, like we spent a lot of time over the pandemic because we had a spare time. We we made by hand that twenty five foot marquee sign. Um, that says Brass Camel and shining incandescent lights at the back of the room. And uh, it's just fun to turn around and see that on stage. But the other thing there is, you know, if, if somebody walks into your show and hates your music, I'm fine with that, but you're not going to forget the band name if you've seen it in 25-foot blinding lights with dry ice fog. And maybe if somebody asks them how their night was and they say, oh, the band was pretentious rubbish, but they were called Brass Camel and clearly put a lot of time into their stage show. Well, maybe their friend will love the show. Maybe they'll go to see it because I think that somebody's getting a pretty damn over-the-top presentation for a $22 ticket.
0: Yeah, for sure. Love Spinal Tap. I heard they're actually making a sequel. I imagine probably about some sort of reunion or botched farewell tour. What has been the closest you've encountered to a Spinal Tap moment on stage? Well, two come to mind. The last last show we did at the rickshaw,
1: which was a, a... a gas And I really think the first time that the kind of full vision ever really locked in on stage. In the middle of that song, King for a Day, there's a bit of a spoken word part there. And we had uh, the king on a pedestal to the side of the stage in full regal, purple velvet regalia, uh, making an angry speech to the crowd with a mic that he forgot to turn on. So that was uh, um, visually very pleasing, but didn't make a whole lot of sense song-wise. We did a show once where we were doing a St. Patty's show, and we thought it would be kind of funny to have some crowd participation there and bring some people up to uh, make some basketball shots with a headband hoop we had for somebody. Turns out we did not have a Steph Curry in the audience, so the bit went on for an agonizingly long time. Um, Just couldn't um, dunk a single one. Just couldn't dunk, no. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, not at all. There were no three-pointers to be had. At, I mean, the uh,
0: the music fan-athlete crossover, I mean, it exists, but... Mm. Yeah, <laughs>
1: not that night. <laughs> um, yeah, there's been a few moments over the years, for sure. I, mean, I did a, not with Brass Camel, but I did a, an event with um, a band I was playing when I was about 14 years old, and we were we were brought down to Colorado to do an, an NBC snowboarding event called Next Snow for young snowboarders and I guess that's why we, they brought us down because we're a young band and um, we're, we're pretty busy at the time and they set up a snow stage or a stage made out of snow right on the ski hill with a ski jump behind it and fireworks and the like And uh, I'm
0: already seeing how this could possibly go bad
1: <laughs> well there was a, a very cheap guitar that they they said oh, here's a backup guitar if you need to use it for anything it was a little squire bullet guitar there and I thought oh this would be terrific. This would be a rock star moment if at the end of the set, jumped on the guitar and snowboarded down the hill. I, to this day, am not a snowboarder. I just was in the moment. I thought this would be tremendous. and I made it about 15 feet and then went ass over teakale down a competitive ski slope. Oh. And the guitar didn't make it very far. I didn't make it very far. Got back to the stage and my fingers were still frozen, so couldn't uh, couldn't even send off the set. That probably looked pretty spinal tapish from out front. The The, the thought was there.
0: Ah, uh, it's bad that I wish there was footage of that. <laughs> I wish there was footage yeah. of that. That's, that's a highlight reel. Nah, what, yeah. what, what can you do? I mean, maybe you could use... Oh, this requires such a budget, but like that would almost be perfect to do for like um a music video or something like that. That could be fun. Like, try yeah. and recreate it in some capacity. Your love of motorcycles and sports cars is well documented, as you've appeared in many promotional photos and videos with some classic vehicles. What is your go-to album for when you're just ripping down the freeway without a care in the world? Little Feet, man. I love Little Feet. Probably Little Feet, Feets Don't Fail Me Now.
1: That's a, that's a great driving album. I, I spend more time, I mean, uh, through being in the motorcycle industry, I've definitely been introduced to some pretty cool sports cars, but I uh, spend more time on motorcycles. Um, I cannot afford a sports car because of all the Timpanies and vintage guitars that I spend every <laughs> last penny I have um, on. Um, so I spend more time on motorcycles, and I don't think I'll ever be one of those guys that puts in headphones while I ride. Um, yeah, that's I like being idea. present on a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, no matter how safe of a rider somebody is, you run into close calls because people aren't looking out for you, and it's a uh, it. You know, it's an activity that certainly leaves you vulnerable. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to mitigate that risk by riding smart. And not that I don't enjoy seriously speeding in the right places where I know there's no gravel and and driveways or anything like that. But uh, for the most part, I do not listen to music while riding motorcycles. Um, although sometimes I wish I did.
0: That's probably a very smart thing. Because, yeah, I mean, now I think about it, you're not allowed to wear... I mean, you obviously have a stereo system in your car, but, like, you're not allowed to wear... Well, you shouldn't wear headphones while you're driving around, so that's yeah. kind of the same principle. But, yeah, I guess that's part of the appeal with uh, motorcycles is the, the vulnerability. Yeah,
1: uh, well, it's... To me, riding a motorcycle is... Um, it's exhilaration and it's meditation at the same time. And there are not very many pursuits that can offer both of those at once and I mean to me it's if I don't know riding a riding a nice motorcycle around a windy road or for that matter a a cased out old motorcycle that feels like you know your life is in its hands around a windy road um forces you to be so in the moment you're you're I forget everything else in that moment you're looking around the corner you're making sure that you stay in one piece and you have to be observant and and for that because of that, you you tune out. And as much as you're focused, all of a sudden it's like you can just clear your head. You're not worried about bureaucracy or about your email or relationships or whatever else is going on. And it's just a very pure state of mind to be in. And at the same time, you feel like you're on the best roller coaster you've ever been on. And you get to choose where it goes. So, yeah, I, I love it, man. Nothing like it. Once you get the bug, it's hard to go back. And then being on stage is almost the same thing for me where you... You know, I, f- I find that being on stage, um, if all the kind of cards line up is a very, it's like you to- you just tune out. I'm not thinking, like, you're on autopilot on stage. And at the same time, yeah, you got to be focused, especially when there's a lot of, like, right now with the Brass Camel show. You know, hopefully as we get to put it on more and more, it'll become easier and easier to do it effortlessly. I don't know if it'll ever be truly effortless with the amount of ingredients in there, but just trying to make sure everything aligns up with the the lighting elements and all the the percussion and the stage show elements, it's like it keeps you on your toes. You know, there's always something to something that to keep in mind. Is this gonna go right? Is this gonna go right? And again, when when everything's going right, you're just in the zone. Autopilot. It just happens and the show ends and and you're done. And uh, there's a huge, huge um, common ground, I think, between riding a motorcycle and being on stage to me. I don't know if that's bananas, but that's how I, I look at it.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say, I know um, Neil Pert, rest in peace, that was like his second love besides drums was riding yeah. a motorcycle. So. Oh, and what a perfect setup. Just have uh,
1: have a couple bikes on tour and follow the tour bus and Find uh, windy roads that the uh, the big Winnebago is not going to make it through. Yeah. That sounds phenomenal. And when it rains, just hand it over to your roadie to ride uh, in the next. There you seat.
0: go. You have hosted a number of charity shows, most recently Floodstock, which I was at, uh, to raise money for people impacted by flooding in the Fraser Valley. What are some of your favorite causes or charities that you like to contribute to and why?
1: For me, n- 90% of the time, if I'm hosting a charity event or... Or, or making some sort of donation, it's to Doctors Without Borders. You know they're nonpartisan, they're transparent. Um, that's been I I, w- I would say that that's been where I've I've donated to. Yeah, for for most you know we've done well maybe what three maybe four events that have had some sort of a charitable element now, and it's been uh, Doctors Without Borders we've uh we've done music heals a couple times as well because i think that's a great cause um and then with uh with floodstock, of course it was it was canadian red cross was was uh had a flood re- uh, relief specific um campaign going on and then both the federal and the provincial government were matching donations so that was a, a great choice for that one
0: so my next question kind of Ties into my previous one as well. Uh, I had a chance to see Brass Camel play a prog rock tribute show at the H.R. McMillan Space Center. I was so happy to hear songs like Roundabout by Yes, Dancing with Moonlit Night by Genesis, and Starless by King Crimson in person. Uh, Starless, by the way, is one of my favorite songs ever. Are there any plans in the works to host a similar event like that in the near future or another charity event in the near future?
1: No and Yes. I would say uh mm-hmm. we'd love to do um, further charitable events at the moment um we 've been so focused on the album um and kind of piecing together the final final ingredients for the band because we're we're three out of five right now. We are looking for a new guitar player and a keyboard player that are like long termers get the vision right guys for the band, so we are not really haven 't been playing the last couple of months and won 't be until September um otherwise i think we would have probably tried to put together some sort of a uh, um a ukraine benefit but yeah we we've definitely been entertaining the idea of doing another floodstock style benefit uh, because that was that was a great night that it was, was amazing. just so yeah. much fun um i cannot believe that 10 bands in a night and we only ran 19 minutes over schedule that really blew me away that we managed to keep it uh you know <laughs> fairly tight when it came to the schedule and uh, that's all thanks to uh, our stage manager, Joe Foley. Joe Foley thank you, Joe. Um, but we'd like to do something like that again. And Floodstock came together so quickly. There was basically two and a half weeks to plan it, get the poster, get all the bands lined up, uh, get a bunch of press for it and make it happen. So I think that worked out r- pretty freaking well given the circumstances. But it would be nice to put on something similar, a bit more time to plan it, uh, bring on more sponsors so we can raise more money. Mm-hmm. and, um, and and see what happens cuz you know it was a win-win at the end of the day we managed to raise just over 7 grand with that one but then it was it was doubled and doubled again so the total impact it had was about 21,000 which is you know a drop in the bucket compared to a major corporation or something but not bad for some indie musicians getting together and playing some some rock and roll um and in addition to that side of it it was it was just a treat for the bands i mean it was well the live shows had resumed not far but uh, before that, anyway, so for a lot of those bands playing that night, it was the first chance to get on stage in front of a proper crowd in ages. Mm-hmm. Um, but it almost felt like a bit of a Vancouver showcase. It did, you know, yeah. It's like here you get a like a charcuterie board of all these fantastic artists, and you know when people only have a twenty minute set, it's like you're just bringing your fieriest kind of a game set, and that was it was from from everything I heard, it was a treat for the folks out front. But it was great for the performers too, and I think for that reason it would be really, really killer to do another thing like that at some point. So that that's in the works. Uh, as far as the progressive rock show, probably won't be doing anything like that anytime soon. And we're gonna stick to doing our own our own show now that it's really sorted to lock in as far as what the vision of the band is, and we've kind of we've built all our risers and our stage props and lights and everything, and we have kind of, co- of a cohesive um live show strategy going forward, then we're going to stick to that. Um, additionally, um, you know a- anybody that wants to come to pay to see the band, um, we're so happy to have you there. But in doing the progressive rock show, we found that after those two shows, which were some of the most fun shows I've ever played, two nights of playing in a planetarium with wild graphics above the stage, playing these o- odd songs that I never thought I'd have a chance to play live, Dynamite. However an effect of doing those shows was that our, our audience for quite a while after that was largely over 60. And again, whoever wants to come to see the show, please do come to see the show. Your attendance is cherished. Um But I mean, all of us are, are in our early to late twenties and most of the bands we roll with, same thing. And since the, the shows have eased up over the pandemic, we've, um, We've had a young audience, and we want an audience that can grow with us. Mm-hmm. And we really stopped sort of advertising ourselves as being a progressive rock band. Make no mistake, we are a progressive rock band. But I'd rather somebody else decide that for themselves. And I just kind of consider it unorthodox rock. And what we found is that if we're telling people we're a prog band, we get an old audience coming to the show. If we just tell people we're Brass Camel and we do what we do, then we've we've really seen a, a, a great new fan base and kind of... Um, you know, younger audience, similar just to uh, us, finding the band in the last year now, and we want to see that continue to grow. And I don't know that playing King Crimson cover shows is the way to uh, to to do that.
0: I mean, just so long, I guess a good compromise is just pulling out the odd cover now every now and then. Oh hell yeah, we yeah. did
1: Firth of fifth at uh, our show in September at the Rickshaw with there Ben you Sinister. Go. Curtis played the flute. It was dynamite.
0: Huh? Flute, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Well, I hope you can pull out a Starless again. I'd love to hear that. That would be fun. Yeah. That would would be a fun one to buy. It's so tense. Yeah. It's just incredibly tense, that midsection of that yes, song. Yes, that bass line, especially. Oh, yeah. Big I can't time. remember the, the bassist name. Um, it was John Wetton, And it's the same guy, the bald guy with the mustache? No, that was Tony Levin. Oh, Tony Levin, yeah, but Tony Levin's been the guy like ever since. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for for a long, long time. He's oh, a beast. <laughs> yeah, monster player. Yeah, and he's played with everybody over the years. Played with Peter Gabriel. Gabriel and, yeah. yeah. What excites you most about this new release? I think there are just a lot of ingredients there. It's, um,
1: I think it's a very diverse record in terms of the sounds that are on the record, in terms of the songwriting approaches, um, and yet I do think there's a sort of a, a thread between all the songs that ties everything together well you know, musicians are just so often their biggest critics, and I've been the same way my, my whole musical life, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier while we were chatting, that this is the first time I've ever made a record where i listened back and kind of gone, fuck yeah, this is what we set out to make, this is, this is a record that I kind of heard in my head when we started making it, um, and additionally, you know, ho- hopefully this trend continues, but in the the people I've played it for, whose opinion I really trust, in the sense that they're you know if they shoot straight and give an honest appraisal, and will tell me if something's rubbish if they think it's rubbish. We've had great feedback so far, and from just about everybody who played the full record, dude, we've kind of heard, "Damn guys, that's that's a proper record. That is a cut above anything you've ever done before," and that felt nice and validating because. I've always been down on every release I've ever made. As soon as you record it, kind of listen back and go, could have done this different, could have done this different. Why did I put this bridge in here? And uh, My opinion might well change six months from now, but as of right now, I'm proud of the record and looking forward to seeing what people think. Um, I think that some people will love it. I think that some people will hate it. I don't think too many people are going to be lukewarm on it if they listen to it front to back, and I'm fine
0: with that. And we'll (laughs) see what... uh, We'll see what the folks have to say. Uh, I mean, you've just described most of my favorite movies the last few years. You look at the user reviews, and they're either five stars or one. Yeah. yeah. You're like, ooh. That's cool, man. Yeah. I'm just
1: afraid of meh. Oh, <laughs> just, yeah. I just don't want to be a
0: meh. Never be boring. No. For God's sakes, so you never want to be boring. <laughs> no, I don't, I'm not too worried about that yeah. right now. <laughs> no, I don't think you'd ever have that concern with Brass Camel. What local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the podcast for a future episode? Um, three of them right away spring to mind.
1: I caught a show at, uh, the Rio theater a couple months ago and an artist named Cat Madden from Squamish performed the best independent set I've ever seen, bar none. I was just blown away. Absolutely staggered. Um, phenomenal songwriting, really just interesting tunes without being in your face with all the changes. Um, phenomenally competent band that's backing her, Marcus Ramsey on guitar and some some other great players. Uh, I was just blown away and, I mean, basically brought me to tears, which is... Wow. uh, I've probably seen a thousand different independent artists since I was 10 years old and first started playing in clubs and I've never seen a show that moved me like that. Blew me away. I've also met a lot of very well-established artists over the years um, and I've never fanboyed over anybody before. It's just... Hasn't been my style while meeting famous artists, and I'm when I talked to Cat in front of the Rio, I totally fanboyed. I just like I was just gushing and gushing and gushing, and um, and then she mentioned that she was not able to get Marcus on guitar for a few shows coming up, so I volunteered my services and I'm going to play some shows with her. Nice, I've already done one. It was oh, that's Dynamite. cool, and we've got more coming up. I know one's on July second. The other dates I have blanked on. But check out Cat Madden. She's dynamite. Definitely. It's like the ingredients are just so diverse. It's like a little bit of little bit of little feet, little bit of zappa. There's like adolescent chains in there. There's I don't know. It's just a it's a very unique sound that she's got going on. And um she'd be my, my my number one recommendation if you're gonna if you're gonna go see one independent artist in the next few months, regardless of who's playing guitar for, uh, go see Cat Madden. Um. Then the next two are, of course, uh, my boys and Bad Magic. Love those guys. Um, just a great, interesting band. I think uh, I think Eric the singer calls it dark, sexy music, or he said that somebody else called it that. I'm not sure what his take on it is, uh, but that's what it sounds like. It's a very unique, very unique sound. A bunch of great, hardworking guys. And then the third one. Uh, nothing's been released by this band yet. I think they've only played two shows so far. They're actually playing on the same bill as Cat Madden for um, for that July second show. Uh, Holy Felix!
0: Holy Felix. Okay.
1: Yeah, this guy is. Uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I'm trying not to swear here, but the guy the guy's a motherfucker. Like, he's just a <laughs> you're really, allowed to swear. It's okay. I know. I know. I know. It's not. You know. Uh, uh, CBC radio yes Um, however trying to be well you're wearing a suit professional Um, but (laughs) he's a dude man he's a very unique artist Um, I had a jam with this guy at uh, at our, our lockout space last summer first time I met him I think it was actually the first day that Eric met him as well and he brought him over and you should not judge a book by its cover you know, everybody knows you don't judge a book by its cover, and yet everybody does. Once or twice, here or there, it just happens. And Felix walked into the room, and I think I thought, okay, cool guy, probably play some punk rock music or something. We're probably not going to jive. And about 20 seconds into meeting this guy, start talking about Randy Newman and this and that, and think like, holy shit, we got on really well. This is a cool guy. Wow, we're very similar. Start jamming, and man, the ear on this guy, just in terms of... You know, not everybody's... There's great musicians that can't jam. They don't listen. They don't stop playing when they need to to hear what's going on. And this guy has a super quick ear. Great player. um, Which is always dynamite. There's a lot of great players that can't write at all. And I started hearing the guy's original music. And it's so unique. It's like... You know, just because of our influences, we don't try to make retro music, but it ends up sounding very influenced by early 70s stuff. Mm -hmm. It's guitar-driven. It's keyboard-driven. But it's hearkening back to a certain era of rock, whereas the stuff that Felix m- is making is, I think it's like 21st century guitar music. It's guitar-driven. There's a lot of synth in there, but it's it just feels fresh, really unique stuff. And he's got this great stage show um, that's ambitious, where he's, I mean, his project's called Holy Felix, and he's got this like crucifix with an extra line in it, very sacrilegious Ooh. logo, and... And this big sign that they've they've made for the the back of the stage, um, and he he walks on stage in this this priest's robe and love it. Oh, it's just very theatrical, and <laughs> the 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 one show that I caught uh, caught of his band because I couldn't make it to the first one, but saw the second show, and halfway through the set, he, he straight face walks up to the mic and goes, "This next song is called God King, it's about me." and if if it was anybody else i think i would have just turned around and went to the bar but he said it with so much conviction and the guy doesn't have an ego he just appreciates theatricality but does it in a very honest way like it just it comes across as being um very intentional and very deliberate and very put together but it seems effortless at the same time. It doesn't seem like he's trying really hard to put on this role or put on this show. Super cool. Holy Felix. Gotta go check it out. I think that their debut uh, music is coming out soon, and it's dynamite. It's super unique. I have never heard anybody else like it, so those are my three. Cat Madden, my boys in Bad Magic, and Holy Felix.
0: Awesome. Uh, Yeah, absolutely gonna. I've listened to Bad Magic before, but I definitely gotta listen to those two, and those are Fantastic suggestions. I actually got a suggestion for you. Shoot, there's a um, I, I want to say he's like 24 or something like that. This guy named uh, Kiano Ienso. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh, Native American guy. He okay. lives in uh, Nanaimo. Yeah, uh, it's primarily instrumental stuff but he's a amazing guitar player dynamite and his uh his arrangements are really really engaging uh added it as one of our favorite local releases of the year so far so nice okay yeah, i'll have on to write, Spotify, that, yeah. write that
1: down and uh, check it out when i get on air.
0: yeah dynamite and uh finally how can listeners keep up with what you're up to and check out your music
1: uh so instagram is at brass camel or Facebook, if anybody uses that anymore, is facebook.com slash Brassy Camel because somebody else got to Brass Camel first. And uh, we're looking at September 9th for the full album release date. Uh, we're likely going to have one or two singles after Easy before the album comes out. And that will all be up on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music uh, very shortly. So keep your eyes peeled for that stuff. Uh, what do they, What do they say? Pre-save. Pre-save the link is what they say. Um, So that'll all be uh, linked and announced on our our Instagram the next few days here for that first single. Um, Now share with your friends. See what you think. And then uh, when that September 9th show at the Wise Hall is announced, which I suppose we've just done, um, buy your tickets because I do believe that show will sell out and it's going to be a cracker of a time a couple great bands on the bill for that show which i cannot announce yet but uh in short order we will you'll be pleased with the bill i hope and uh, it's going to be a, 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 a just a ball we've got some hilariously over the top things planned for that show as we do and uh, i think we're going to take it to the next level
0: well fantastic uh, this has been great daniel uh, and i think we will call it there all
1: right thanks for hanging
0: Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. You can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio, YouTube at Pacific Sound Media, pacificsoundradio.com, and wherever you stream your podcasts. If you like the show, there are a few different ways that you can support it. You can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. You can share this podcast on your social media, and you can recommend the show in person to your friends, family, and coworkers. We're going to send this one home with one more song from Brass Camel. This is I've Got the Fox.